2: CONSPIRACY UNLIMITED with Richard Serrett
0: Welcome to Episode 2 of Conspiracy Unlimited. On this episode, an examination of the deep state, the elites, and the evil motivations behind the chaotic contemporary world pressing all life toward a final one-world empire how globalists are taking over the world's power centers, the marriage of modern globalism and progressivism, and the modern trigger that briefly lifted the veil on this darkness, the election of President Donald Trump, who exposed the power brokers, their evil agenda, and their techniques and ideology.
1: They manipulate the masses through education and media manipulation, uh, sort of uh, like a an engineering of the human uh, faculties uh seeking a utopian type of world so it, it's it's a, it's a frightening world but one that is so subtle in its uh, mechanisms to change things. That I, I, it's, it's like the proverbial frog in the, in the boiling water. He doesn't know that he's boiling and going to die until it's too late.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Logo Creator 7 Software. These days, it's more important than ever to have a good image, especially if you have a small business or you sell stuff online or post on social media. But quality graphics can cost money, and advanced software like Photoshop shop takes time to learn. That's why I want to tell you about some amazing piece of software called Creator 7. Creator 7 is so easy to use, yet it lets you create super-looking logos, business cards, character mascots, you name it, in just minutes. Whatever you create is going to look really cool and very impressive. Creator 7 comes with hundreds of ready-made templates. Just click and drag to make changes, and instantly you have really impressive graphics right on your computer. Some clever folks have even ordered the Creator 7 software to start their own logo-making business, creating and selling logos and graphics for a profit. That's how good it is. But you won't believe the price. Creator 7 creates beautiful logos and designs right on your computer and works on either PC or Mac. And right now, it's available at an amazing price. To see it in action, just visit... RadioshowLogo.com. That's RadioshowLogo.com. RadioshowLogo.com.
2: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of her supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Well, it's officially winter. Never mind about the winter solstice. Never mind what the meteorologists say. I had to use the ice scraper on the car windows this morning for the first time. And that means, well, at least in my books, it's now officially winter. That's it. That's the way we marked the seasons up here in the great white north. And actually, incidentally, that's how you can tell if someone's from Canada, the land of ice and snow. We have tremendously strong wrists. That's from all the, the ice scraping. And thick. They're very thick Uh, The cold may have uh, just descended, but a cold war has been raging for decades behind the scenes. Not the old cold war, not NATO versus the evil Soviet empire. I'm talking about a new cold war where the combatants are the globalists and their progressive fundamentalist allies and their foot soldiers in the corridors of power that we often refer to as the deep state versus The patriots, those of us who believe in the sovereign nation-state, those of us who believe in the rule of law, borders, God, and country. Here to discuss the deep state versus President Trump is Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Bob is a Washington, D.C.-based broadcast, national security, and foreign policy analyst. He's an author, having been both a columnist for conservative outlets with more than 800 published articles on national security and geopolitical issues. His first book, Deadly Consequences, How Cowards Are Pushing Women Into Combat, was published in 2013. His second book, Never Submit, Will the Extermination of Christians Get Worse Before It Gets Better?, was published by Defender Publishing. His latest book is The Deeper State, Inside the War on Trump by Corrupt Elites, Secret Societies, and the Builders of an Imminent Final Empire. Bob is a graduate of the United States Military Academy at West Point and the Naval Postgraduate School at Monterey. His special military training included Ranger and Airborne Schools, Command and General Staff College, and the U.S. Army War College Strategist Course as well as the Defense Language Institute. Bob, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are things in Germany?
1: Well, they're doing fine. Uh, Richard, thanks for having me this evening.
0: The deeper state inside the war on Trump by corrupt elites, secret societies and the builders of an imminent final empire. Uh, you, You describe this as the new Cold War. So we have on one hand, we have the globalists. Who are they? Who are they opposed by? Tell me about the other side.
1: Well, you know, the other side, typically, uh, and when I look at deep state, I think of three echelons, but the, the other side are the nationalists, the populists, in, in many cases. Uh, but uh, the the globalists themselves, Richard, you know, I consider a an interesting cabal. Uh, basically, uh, they are you know, people that come in three stripes. You have the market globalists, the justice globalists, the religious globalists, and they're really embracing not what the common person thinks of globalism as a corporate expansion, free trade, and international instant communication, but I see it as a radical ideology, a humanist religion of sorts. You know, and what they really want to do is replace uh, national sovereignty with international organizations, and you know, it's one world government, uh, and the great wealth ends up in the pockets of the very few, and it's a kind of. You know, in my viewpoint, it's empowered by the age old issue of progressivism, which we've seen certainly in the the U.S. uh, vis a vis Miss Clinton, but it goes back to uh, Woodrow Wilson, certainly Roosevelt, and of course Obama. Uh, And so, the two sides in this war typically are the globalists as I've described there to a certain degree and uh, the nationalists, the populists the people that want to protect national sovereignty that want to protect what they believe are, are the the rights of the citizens of individual states around the world and not surrender it to the likes of the United Nations and to uh, the wealthy elite who really think that they're uh, God's gift to the world to be able to control everything. So that's, that's kind of a general When I think of the globalists,
0: and again, you outlined sort of the tenets, they're they're free traders. nothing impedes the flow of capital and labor like independent nation states and borders. So they want to do away with those. So on the surface, they might appear to be uh, sort of laissez faire capitalists, but underlying the, the globalist movement, and you indicated that it's it's part of the progressive movement, but it it also smacks of international socialism.
1: Oh, well, certainly. I, I think you have the motivating factor. And if you look at the history of the progressives and, of course, a lot of these uh, modern globalists, uh, you see a sort of a one world order, uh, you know, a, a a sort of communism of sorts, a Marxism, because, you know, even though they, they suggest that we should uh, be... Respectors of all people uh, they don't really believe that and they certainly intend to enrich themselves they in fact if you look at the, the likes of Ted Turner they go through and forward with population reduction um, he recommends in a number of statements a, a population of only 300 million in the world so uh, the eugenics approach that he takes is, is rather frightening, but he doesn't go into all the details here. Yeah, but I see these people, Richard, as you know, really feudalistic. you know, because they're so smart and, you know, to themselves at least. They, they, they think they can dictate to the rest of us how we should live and what we should consume, and they would you know, dictate a lot of... Uh, you know, the pleasures that uh, the modern world gives us. And they also believe in uh, a lot of regulation, um, you know, to, to their own, I suppose, uh, uh, for their own purposes, uh, planned society where, of course, they run everything, uh, sort of a scientific dictatorship, if you would, you know, where they manipulate the masses through education and media manipulation, uh, sort of uh, like a, an engineering of the human uh, faculties, uh, seeking a utopian type of world. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a frightening world, but one that is so subtle in its... Uh, mechanisms to change things. That I, I, it's, it's like the proverbial frog in the in the boiling water. He doesn't know that he's boiling and going to die until it's too late. And I think it, there's so much of what we've seen in the world today uh, that's going on. Now, you asked, Richard, about the, the deeper state. Now, the, the context of the deeper state is that these globalists, these progressives, have become a incredibly effective at manipulating uh, what I consider the three layers of the deeper state. The first layer being the the political class and the the federal bureaucracy, the people that have legitimate political authority. Uh, Then the the second layer are those that are influencing that. That's where your globalists are pouring their money uh, hiring their K Street uh, lobbyists, hiring their NGOs, like uh, George Soros, uh, hires well over 100 NGOs to do his bidding for his particular progressive agenda. Uh, and, and many, many others, many countries, uh, certainly in Washington, there's billions of dollars floating around to influence international issues. And I see a an unseen realm uh As manipulating behind the scenes and and we can but explore uh, that
0: back to my uh, previous question about how on the surface they do seem to be. Um ardent capitalist, but it seems in the final analysis, it would be much the same, I suppose it was in in the former Soviet Union, and it is in China for those at the very top, the echelon at the top it's they get access to all the the fruits of capitalism but it's it's a very sort of dystopian socialism for the rest of us plebes
1: oh absolutely, you know, you know Donald Trump called it a, an economic and a political ideology, and it 's the people at the top. That you know really enjoy uh, all the the rights and privileges. Uh, The rest of us can't have private property. That's where the communist piece comes in. Uh, They're very draconian, uh, and they would rob from us uh, using what I consider uh, crony capitalism. Certainly. Uh, a fascistic uh, approach to a lot of things in the world you know, if given their, their own rights. Just just look at some of the, the very wealthy in the world that I consider global, globalists and how they have have you know, aggressively manipulated the world and they could care less uh, as to the consequences if those consequences uh, you know, certainly don't favor uh, the people in which they're targeting because they are, are ultimately looking to control the world. Uh, I see this certainly in the likes of George Soros. I saw that in David Rockefeller and his father, and so forth through the ages. And I would argue that you know we've seen similar things from the, the Henry Kissinger and the likes of him, and then also even Hillary Clinton and you know some of the things that uh, are even surfacing in it, the last. It few would seem that for the
0: last. I don't know. You can give me a precise timeline, but uh, five, six decades, perhaps we go back as far as Wilson or, or certainly since FDR, that the globalists have had all the momentum. Everything has been going their way. And then along comes Donald J. Trump, the great disruptor. Uh, did you Had you almost given up on the, the populist nationalist movement until Trump came along? And did you see Trump coming along?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, one, I don't know that I saw Trump coming along. And I think a lot of us were resigned to a third administration or a third term of Barack Obama under Hillary Clinton. And, and the progressives, I think, were you know, obviously stacking the courts in a way that you know America would be uh, very, very uh, looking to continue down the same primrose path that it had been going. And so, yeah, I you've seen uh, the 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 giant government state control. You know, starting back, I would say with Wilson. You know, he had the failure at uh, certainly with the League of Nations, which he wanted to really internationalize everything, and he wanted to you know, bring more regulation and big government in there. But it was really under Roosevelt, you know, the New Deal, and and the CFRs, the Council of Foreign Relations people that he brought in, that really brought the globalist mindset to Washington, expanded especially after the war vis-a-vis the UN and, and of course, our alliances across the world. And then, then it just the regulation, the government programs to the likes of, uh, Lyndon Johnson and then Barack Obama, all the way up to the present, government is just giant and gobbles up and controls every aspect of life. Now, when Trump came along, you know, I, I think it was a major road bump for progressives that hey, I, everything was going just, you know, great in their direction, which it was, quite frankly. And now uh, the, they just unreached the, the dogs of the deeper state against uh Trump uh, and and this is fairly well documented whether it's the, the internal resistance within the bureaucracy that is leaking like a sieve uh or it's the upfront you know attacks uh, unrelenting and in some cases just total fabrications by some of the elite media that um, have gone after Mr. Trump now he's not a perfect person but at the same time, he's tapped into something that's even over here in Germany, you know, that, you know, just really has frustrated the likes of Angela Merkel, who, you know, has, even though she was elected uh, essentially for uh, a fourth term, uh, she's just struggling mightily to put together a new government because the right. The populists, the nationalists have risen up. They now have 13% of the vote unless they call a new vote. And they're going to be the minority in the Bundestag for the first time since 1945 when the demise of the Nazi regime came about. I mean, this is there's so many radical things happening in Europe just because of this backlash that, that has Taken over Great Britain through Brexit, right. and certainly France and Poland. The, Poland the, has the given Poland or, has given the uh, big uh, middle finger to the so EU,
0: forth. saying we're not taking any any migrants. And they've also almost <laughs> as if they've been spurned on by uh, or spurred on rather by by President Trump's speech over there. Uh, they've talked about the need for the Polish people to to, to go forth and be fruitful. Uh, Holland, or, uh, sorry, uh, Hungary. You mentioned Soros earlier. They recently, uh, ordered Soros and his, uh, organizations to, to leave the country. And he's sort of, sort of fighting back a little bit. So, are, are these, though, these places like Poland and, and, uh, the Czech Republic, which recently passed their own Second Amendment, uh, are these the last gasps of the Patriots, or do you see things starting to reverse?
1: Yeah, a fair question, and and I think we're going to have to see more. Um, I'm hoping that it's not the last gas. I'll I'll tell you, back, it was 1970, uh, not 79, 99, that uh, I came over to to Austria, and I saw kind of the first rumblings of this resurgence, this populist movement under the Freedom Party and uh, Jörg Haider uh because they were threatening to take over and in fact one of the mem- their members uh took over as the, the vice uh, uh, chancellor or the vice uh prime minister and And I sat down with Heider, and he said, look, it's the immigration issue, it's the loss of sovereignty, it's the European Union, that's threatening our sovereignty, we're losing the identity, we're losing our language, and I'm seeing, you know, as I'm here in Germany, I'm seeing exactly the same thing from a lot of Germans who are just frustrated uh, with the likes of the EU, EU that is taking over their lives and dictating things. They never had any vision that this would happen, and now you're beginning to see the resurrection of border controls because they don't like the fact that Angela Merkel uh, welcomed in at least a million and a half migrants, and then they're just sucking up all the social services and draining this economy in a way that the, the Germans are just terribly frustrated the same thing in france and belgium and netherlands and the and the baltic nations and and, and you're right the poles are smart they, they've been pushing back from the very beginning and they've been pointing a finger like the hungarians at the likes of soros you know just the other day you know soros and i think you alluded to it uh, there was a court case apparently that uh... you know that they're they've got All sorts of signs are all over the country saying, basically, Soros, get out, let us run our government, we don't want you sort of thing. So there is an undercurrent in Western Europe pushing back, and I think the same undercurrent remains loyal to Mr. Trump in the U.S.
0: Bob, you're a world-class soldier. Now, if you're looking for world-class website hosting at a fair price, there's a company I want to tell you about pair networks pair networks hosts hundreds of thousands of websites why do i recommend them simply because they set the standard for excellence with a technical support staff that's second to none their support team responds so fast and they always give straight answers and that's important to me plus they have top of the line technology That's why Pair Networks offers total reliability for your website with a money-back guarantee. So whether you're a professional web designer, a busy web marketer, or you're just getting a site online, Pair Networks has a web hosting plan that's right for you. Log on and learn more at pair.com. Let me spell it out for you. P-A-I-R dot com. Pair Networks. There are so many crazy stories on the Dead Files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to the Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub
1: Empire.
2: You're about to leave behind everything you think you know. Think you know. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis is joining me live from Germany. The deeper state inside the war on Trump by corrupt elites, secret societies, and the builders of an imminent final empire. The sort of the ragtag coalition... Uh, that have aligned themselves in many cases un- unknowingly unwittingly uh, we have you know we have uh, Muslims aligned very strangely with with radical feminists go figure the LGBTQT, uh community black lives matter uh, how how can one I mean I I guess I'm asking somewhat rhetorically but how could for example a radical feminist uh, a, a align themselves with radical Islam uh, or the LGBTQT, uh, LGBTQT community with radical Islam uh, facing off against the nationalists. It just, it makes no sense on any level.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I, I use an expression, the enemy, my enemy is my friend, and I agree totally with you that those, you know, groups that you outline would not be friendly to one another for a variety of reasons, but they are so afraid of what a reformist, uh, a nationalist, a Trump idea uh, would do to their long-term agenda. You know, if you're LGBT, uh, you want to normalize uh, their lifestyle in a way that you know that they're like any heterosexual uh, you know couple, or viewed actually in some cases you read their literature as a superior, which is a frightening prospect, especially in my case as a Christian. I say well that that is terribly unbiblical, but you know that's the nature of the culture that we've entered. and then the Muslims, of course, if they're orthodox muslims, you know you know they read the Quran, the fira, and the hadith uh they are they're just antithetical to anything such as a Christian, much less you know somebody that's l g b t you know it's very clear in their literature how they view one another so it doesn't make any sense except that they apparently are so frightened of the likes of Trump, the likes of this particular nationalist uprising, the, the AP uh, what is APD over here in Germany that's just frightened Merkel and company and upset this whole government establishment or the likes of, of People up in the Netherlands, like builders, or Le Pen in France, or you know others that are rising up across North America. So it's it's a hard one to understand, but it's a reality. And it seems to me that
0: what what matures. is at work here is on the part of the um, the the progressive uh, fundamentalist progressives, I call them, and and the radical feminists and uh, radical jihadis and so forth. is this deep seated hatred for Western civilization and the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, And so it seems to me like these disparate groups have just looked around in a panic for any bludgeon they could use on Christianity and the Western civilization. It just so happened to be radical Islam. And then they'll figure out later – uh, you know, what to do with radical Islam because radical Islam hates rad, uh, radical feminism and and LBGQT. So it's like they're just, you know, we'll figure that one out down the road, but for now we can use radical Islam against the West.
1: You know, I, I think that's a, a good analysis. That they're clearly antithetical to Christian worldviews, uh, anything Christian, uh, it's an ungodly humanist agenda uh it's self-absorbed it's dark i would argue um so anything that smacks of a a one god uh religion that you know is uh, has a moral foundation that uh, is not uh d- dismissive or uh, of, of what I would consider to be you know sin in the world, then you know they they 're going to they 're going to go after it, and they they have you know Soros being a a good example, uh, and I think that 's why he 's in this open border sort of guy that 's pushed the immigration tsunami against Western Europe and and threatens to uh, basically chase out Christianity and replace it with an Islamic world and and people here are just like that frog in that boiling water. They just don't see what seems to be so clear to some of us: this progressive insanity that uh, is coming to Western Europe. And I fear that. And, and how
0: short-sighted, well. though, uh, Bob, that radical feminists, for example, uh, would eschew the the Judeo-Christian tradition, which has really, which is really the underpinning. Uh, you know, that has that has brought forth the tolerance and the respect that it has allowed uh, women to to really thrive and flourish in in Western civilization.
1: If you travel in the Middle East, you know the idea that Orthodox Muslims would have any uh, welcoming map thrown out to them by uh, the West, much less feminists who. Uh, because women are so oppressed, you know. It's interesting that the the new or the crown prince over there has started in Saudi Arabia to uh, push out some of the orthodox folks because he sees the the in the next couple of generations or in the next couple of decades that if he doesn't radically change, now Saudi Arabia is in be in very very deep trouble. The, the whole idea of an orthodox Islam Islamic state uh, in a world that is you know, really going to be constrained by resources and oil prices is, is continuing to sink. has just got them frightened. But look, as you indicate, how they treat women, which is just appalling. And yet feminists somehow blindly uh, embrace them as allies against the Christian world, which has given them great freedom and respect and equality. I, I just... The Just a slight departure, America.
0: because you mentioned Saudi Arabia, and, and I wanted to sort of delve into sort of your report card on Trump uh, on the foreign stage and uh, sort of reaffirming his commitment to Saudi Arabia with weapons deals and so forth. Uh, and then the, the seeming uh, reformation, perhaps, you know, in its, uh, in its infancy right now in Saudi Arabia with the new crown prince, uh, did Saud, the House of Saud, embrace Wahhabism uh, and all its its uh, intolerance as a bulwark against Iran? And because now the United States under Trump has recommitted to Saudi Arabia, will that allow the Saudis to maybe push Wahhabism away?
1: Hmm. Fair question. And uh, you yeah, know, it's certainly not going to happen on the immediate horizon, because the tensions between the Shias of Iran and the Ayatollahs there, and, of course, uh, the competition against the Sunni world out of Riyadh. And they are, back in 1932, they inherited the the obligation to uh, protect uh, Mecca and Medina, and it was the deal to preserve Wahhabism. And they've used their hundreds of billions of dollars to effectively spread it across the world to buy their allies, to include in North America. Um, I think the Crown Prince recognizes, though, as I said moments ago, that there has to be change if they're going to survive. Uh, They have seen the the hegemonic behavior of the iranians all the way from afghanistan all the way to lebanon and now establishing bases even south of damascus and and very cozy with the former ottomans in turkey and and they're really intimidating the entire region Uh, and so that has spurred of course uh, the saudis to say okay we've got to figure out how to counter this Uh, short of going toe-to-toe, though there are so many proxy wars I'm losing count, whether it's in Yemen, Syria, uh, certainly in the eastern part of Saudi where a lot of the oil is, you have so many Shia and there's a high tension there. But they're conflicting one after the other. Uh, I, I do believe that if the Crown Prince, who has aligned himself, I believe fairly closely with the West, uh, and the u s in particular, and of course they've they've sunk a lot of money into weapons, and we have two major uh weapons programs over there to keep them well armed and they've effectively countered the missiles from Yemen and I think that the Saudis, you know like it or not, uh could become a nuclear state. Uh, if, in fact, they wanted to, vis-à-vis their friends in Islamabad. And then, of course, uh, if, in fact, the Iranians progress, as many of us do believe, that they're continuing secretly, albeit uh, supposedly under the guise and watchful eye of the IAAC, that uh, they will, in fact, uh, eventually, as Prime Minister Netanyahu suggests, acquire a nuclear capability. So, the, the region is incredibly volatile. I do believe the Crown Prince is trying to move it in the, in the correct direction of modernizing it so it can diversify its economy. But at the same time, it's in a very interesting way becoming more cozy with its arch enemy, Israel, just because of what's going on in downtown Tehran. Uh, and then, of course, Tehran is allied not only with the Turks, but with the, the Russians and to a certain degree with the Chinese. So, it's a frightening. Uh, cataclysmic set of circumstances that could continue to blow up. Um, in a, uh, back to, uh, to in the
0: Trump. Future. He has caused some uh, consternation among even his loyalist supporters by some of the appointments uh, that he has made, by some of the people that have surrounded him. I'm talking about people like H.R. McMaster. Um, who clearly uh, seems to be a a, a globalist, a a, a member of the CFR. I'm wondering whether he might be sort of the equivalent of President Woodrow Wilson's Colonel House.
1: (laughs) I think you're right. You know, I I know H.R., and and I do believe that he's very much in the globalist camp, and I do believe that... uh, uh, he, he is very much like House uh, was a, as an adviser uh, to Roosevelt. So uh, no question about these relationships. It's it's curious that he hasn't brought into his administration the the, the robust numbers of CFR members as did Obama and and, and certainly even some of the Bushes, uh, Clinton, and et cetera. But you know he has a number of them. Chow. Uh, she is a member. Uh, I believe that uh, our trade commissioner representative is, is a member, and there may be some others that I'm not familiar with. But uh, you know, the problem, Richard, is in Washington to come in and to drain the swamp as Mr. Trump has promised to do. Is Reagan tried it? He failed. He made some changes, but not nearly enough. Trump had far more of an uphill battle. He had to depend to a certain degree upon people that didn't want him there. You know, the Speaker of the House and certainly the majority leader in the Senate, you know, they didn't want Trump there, and that's been pretty obvious. In in, in the media where you see them together, they always feel uncomfortable, and they haven't been terribly supportive, but uh, grudgingly they're they're doing more than they did months ago. Uh, So I I think that Mr. Trump came in and he had to use some of the old standbys to help fill as quickly as he could some of the vacancies. There are 1,200 presidential uh, appointments that have to be Senate confirmed. And and that is such an uphill battle to get your staff in there, people that you uh, totally trust. And, And frankly, I don't think there are that many people in the world that you know, Mr. Trump totally trusted that would go in and, and write everything that he has articulated as being wrong with Washington. And, and certainly beyond that, there are thousands of others of appointments that at lesser grades, uh, where people, you really have to put in those positions to turn this giant battleship in a direction that you want. And Lieutenant Colonel you know, Robert McGuinness
0: is with me. He's the author of The Deeper State, Inside the War on Trump by Corrupt Elites, Secret Societies, and the Builders of an Imminent Final Empire. Uh, someone that I, um, I was very surprised and continue to be surprised by is former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich, who... Previously, I always had sort of nailed as a, as a globalist, uh, and yet he has been a staunch defender of Trump, and now I'm thinking maybe Gingrich could be quite an ally if he were to let Gingrich loose. I know that that's something that Gingrich has sort of uh, prized, is being able to uh, you know, go into a lot of these government agencies and departments and just clean house. What do you think of Newt Gingrich?
1: Well, you know, I, I've been associated with New Gingrich for decades. Uh, one, he's incredibly bright. He knows the inner workings of Washington. He knows, you know, where the skeletons are buried. Uh, he could have probably revealed a lot more than, than he actually does in some of his books. But having said that, you know, I'm surprised that uh, the president hasn't, you know, put together, you know, early in the administration, they they, they did... Put together these beach uh, teams, you know these these teams that went into the various uh, departments, and they were supposed to uh, begin to uh, tell people to leave and bring new new blood in and provide direction. I know in the Pentagon where I work on a daily basis, uh, we saw this team beginning to do its bidding, uh, and we've seen some results in a number of agencies that's worked out, but. It wasn't done as quickly as I was hoping. Uh, and as a result, the the people that burrowed themselves deeply in, and the people, you know, and I think that, you know, there was, you know, at least according to Ed Klein in, in his book, All Out War the Plot to Destroy Trump, that there was collaboration amongst government officials in, in a very uh, formal way to undermine the transition of the Trump administration and to, you know, side, you know, put it, push it off the rails as quickly as possible. And, and this was a report given by the FBI uh, to uh, Jim Coleman, and of course we know the background there. And... Apparently, uh, he allegedly said that there was certainly sufficient evidence to demonstrate that this was very true. There was a fairly robust, capable effort to sabotage uh, the beginning of the administration. So I think that you know the president should have just put his team aboard and gone in and told these people to leave. And the people left behind were told to keep the railroad running, and then they would fill the ranks as he found people that were suitable and that endorsed what he...
0: The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast, Proof, is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover cover long overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof Murder at the Warehouse wherever you get your podcasts. I don't think there's much question that we are witnessing almost a, a sort of a soft coup d'état against Trump on the part of the intelligence agencies in collaboration with as you mentioned, you know, this alliance Soros and and the media and you know YouTube and Google, you name it. Uh, how, what to what extent are is there a danger that it could manifest into an actual coup d'etat? Is there, for example, behind the scenes, this same sort of battle going on between flag officers and the Pentagon?
1: I, you know, I, I have contact with a number of them, and I, I don't see that at this point. You know, Though the culture within the military, and something that I'm very familiar with and have dealt with for 50 years is uh, has changed uh, and I don't see the the same level of professionalism and and, and kind of um, neutrality that we saw much uh, back in world war two you you had you know general patton general eisenhower they they didn't vote uh, until much later in their lives. Uh, they felt that an officer's obligation was to to be politically neutral. Uh, today, you don't find that. You find uh, officers are more willing to discuss their political views. Certainly, the uh, the the bureaucracy. I I hear it every day, and I uh, I had fully expected that um, you know a lot of them were vying for positions in you know, the Clinton administration toward uh, the late fall of 2016 based upon their statements and their enthusiasm for you know, her imminent election as they saw it. Uh, so I don't think that would happen. Now, uh, these are compartmentalized in a way that, you know, whether it's the CIA, the DIA, or NSA and so forth, though some of the top people do uh, talk to one another, Uh, there there are meetings and so forth that are part of the business of keeping the nation safe. I don't see that as an imminent threat, uh, but I could see the day in the future, if we continue down the road that we were going on under Barack Obama, that we could get to that point. It's it's ironic
0: that much of Trump's agenda, and therefore the... The success or failure of this this new populist movement rests on one uh, scandal ridden uh, candidate for the Senate in Alabama. How uh, how do you see that uh, uh, its significance, mm-hmm. Judge Roy, uh, Roy Moore?
1: You know, I would have thought weeks ago when that was really the, the headline that. You know, they, it seemed like there was one new bimbo eruption after another. Even though it was 40 years old, and even though uh, there was uh, questions, but now all of a sudden, on right on the immediate horizon, we've had Conyers, uh, we've had uh, well-known media personalities. Uh, it seems like every day a new shoe is dropping. So, if you're sitting back and you're in the American people, you say, okay, Roy Moore, 40 years ago. Uh, the evidence is is rather flimsy, and it's been, in some cases, refuted. And now we're beginning to see everything from Hollywood to Washington, D.C., confirmed our worst suspicions that, you know, these people are good at pointing fingers, but when that finger turns and points at them, they're not so good at coming up with viable uh, reasons why they were, uh, groping uh, someone on a U.S. U.S.O. show, or uh, they were using taxpayer f- funds to uh, bring in their girlfriends from far away. You know, th- these things, I think that we're we're getting somewhat callous at this point. So I really think all of this mud uh, that's being swung back and forth is actually, you know, sort of resurrecting Roy Moore. Uh, because he now, uh, some of that's been refuted and at least contested, and then you have all this other stuff that is not as as uh, contested, much less is confirmed. That he's actually looking as if there may be a chance, and I think that's why the president a day or so ago came out and and basically endorsing well one did, fewer did. republican
0: uh, senator um it means it would be very unlikely to get the, uh, the the tax reform bill through or or and forget about forget about um, uh, pushing through of any his, of any of his future federal uh court judge appointments so uh it does really all go ahead
1: uh, Yeah. Hey, hey. Yeah, it, 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 it's actually, it is at the crisis stage for the president. You know, it, if the Republicans can't get something meaningful done, tax reform is absolutely essential, I think. Uh, and I think that uh, even the the majority leader and the speaker recognize that uh, their own power is in jeopardy. So uh, everybody's beginning to, to, to line up. Uh, yes, uh, that one vote does make a difference. And, and oh, it looks as if at least one of the Republicans is not going to be with the president, and possibly two. We'll see. Uh, he's he's working. I, on I want to touch very U.
0: briefly on Congress. the United Nations because I think one of the the highlights of of the Trump presidency so far has been the appointment of someone who, in the beginning, was a staunch opponent, did not like the president at all, and that's UN Ambassador Nikki Haley. I think. Uh, I'd be interested in your take, but I think she's just been stellar in being Trump's pit bull at the United Nations. What are your thoughts?
1: Oh, I agree. She's a tough lady uh, in a very tough environment where it it is so easy to point out what's wrong with that establishment. Not only do they waste our taxpayer money, uh, they're out pushing a progressive agenda that most Americans don't agree with. And so she just echoes not only uh, the president's uh, campaign statements, but she's the enforcer of a policy that you know, resonates pretty well, I think, across uh, the United States. So I, I thought it was a great uh, decision to put her up there. Uh, she she seems to do it with with gusto. Uh, She seems to really enjoy uh, the hard work and has done uh, an incredible job thus far and so I suspect at some future point uh, she could even uh, become the Secretary of State uh, should there be a...
0: So they have pulled out out the United States, has pulled out of UNESCO. Do you see further moves by the Trump administration to distance itself from the United Nations?
1: Well, I certainly hope so. Uh, You know, If the UN is not going to be a respecter of the United uh, United States and and the contribution, which is very significant that we make to them directly in funding, as well as international peacekeeping operations, which is very significant as an aside, uh, then yes, I do believe that we'll see more uh, of, of pulling out. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, it reminds me of you know, because I've I've just been looking at the NATO issue and the, the spending over here in uh, Western Europe. You know, I just was told I think yesterday, Richard, that the Germans pay about 1.2 percent of their GDP for their own defense, uh, and they have a budget surplus. Okay, now why in the world? Uh, Do they need us over here uh, to defend them against the Russians when they can't even use their excess to bolster their military? Because their military is a shadow of what it used to be. And we find that true with a lot of others, except for those that are on the border with Russia that are now increasing for understandable reasons. So whether it's... NATO that the President has said they must spend each nation at least two percent, which would be significant uh, because all we're doing over here is uh, really reinforcing uh, their ability to provide better social services to their people instead of defending themselves we're over here yeah and and we are the country that has this growing deficit whereas they're you know they're enjoying uh, the trade relationship because it's to their their advantage and of course hundred percent so, even my
0: beloved defend
1: them even my beloved Greece my right. uh,
0: my wife is Greek, uh, beleaguered Greece is they're making their obligation. They're paying their two percent.
1: Yeah, well well Greece you know, it's an interesting country um and Yes, they are, and they're one of the few of the 28 NATO countries. And then, you know, when you consider all the nations in Western Europe, you know, given the the rising threat from the bear, uh, and, you know, it's a very real threat, you know, these people ought to be defending themselves, and yet they aren't. No, they're pouring what excess they have back into social services, and so the United States is held holding the bag, um, Really increasing our deficit in order to defend them. And and at some point, you know, the likes of, you know, people that are concerned about our welfare on the other side of the Atlantic have to begin right. to say, Well, Greece gets we the
0: laurel. I, I have to, um, unfortunately, give the dart uh, to my own country, Canada. We're not meeting our NATO obligations. Uh, and and uh, sort of a, as a last note, I I'm wondering if you might provide some... Uh, some motivation, or I don't know, a, kind of a pep speech here to my my Canadian conservative Christian listeners, because we're living in in the land of progressivism. I call Canada a, a United Nations wet dream, and we have a a prime minister whose father was a globalist, uh, and and Justin Trudeau. Some call him the boy king. Has referred to Canada as the post, the first, the world's first post nation state. In other words, he doesn't believe in the nation state. Uh, and we're still waiting up here in Canada for for uh, you know an, an equal and opposite reaction like a Donald Trump. What would you What would you say to uh, the Christian conservative listeners up here that are in despair?
1: You know, I, I can sympathize, uh, and I have a lot of Canadian friends, and I'm very much aware uh, of what's going on. Uh, You know, I suppose you have to dig deeply and find uh, your own strength through uh, perhaps the, the handful of people that believe, as many of us do, in Washington or across the United States, that, you know, our nation is worth Preserving Our sovereignty is worth preserving. We don't need to surrender to the UN or the likes of anyone. You know, just because you've got a bunch of rich people that think that they can control the world and our own destiny and our our next generation, our children's generation, uh, doesn't mean they can't. And, and certainly from the Christian point of view, you know, we're called in Romans 13 to... Uh, give reverence, not reverence, but respect to the government to support the government. But we aren't called to be uh, naive and, and just puppets in the hands of extremists or people that are pushing evil agendas. And certainly the globalists are pushing abortion and they're pushing homosexuality, you know, i would argue that the climate change issue is one that has been overblown by the globalists for financial reasons they don't want us to have borders they want us to have one world government and of course they're at the head of this one world government some of these people that are that are at the very tops of our world uh... you know leadership today are very very evil people and you know i've i've been accused of being too hard on the likes of, say, a Hillary Clinton when I called her a Luciferian uh, psychopath. We, I make a, a, a strong case based upon her own behavior. So we are we have to recognize the type of folks that have risen to the, the, the position of great power in our world today. They've created international organizations. They're just running roughshod over, you know, Moral values that many of us have held throughout our lives, and it, certainly through the generations of the peoples that have founded our nations, we were we were both nations founded by godly people, and I would argue that we've lost that initial vision. And I, that I don't, don't think you're, you're
0: being too hard on Hillary. Uh, she is clearly uh, the Jezebel of the Old Testament, and you know when you look around at at the leadership, uh, yeah. you know Ethel and Ju- Julius Rosenberg went to the chair for far less, Bob.
1: Yes. Yes, uh, and it, it is distressing to say the least that a woman like that, having just the public things that she's done, would have anyone else in jail for the balance of their life if not executed just a few years ago, and yet she gets away with it. And some of these other people are getting away with the types of things, too. And you know that's why I'm not the least as surprised by... Uh, all of this, these accusations and sexual impropriety. I've spent so many years in Washington that I've seen uh, just the underbelly of the beast, and it is so dark. And we should not be surprised that it is a dark place because there's so much power there, and darkness goes where there's power, and that power does not mitigate well for uh, people that are God-fearing, people that you know, love their country and, and really want to be left alone to, you know, live out, uh, raise families and, and to, you know, make a better place of it. But these people don't have that in mind. And unfortunately, they're going to continue unless uh, good people, you know, abandon to a certain degree you know, the their own comforts and say, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to embrace the opportunity, uh, in spite of what it may cost me, but I want to make a better. Future well, we are in living country, truly in, in prophetic
0: times, and as Bible-believing Christians, you know, we've 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 read the book, we've seen the movie, uh, and we know how the story ends. And I guess that's that's the upside to all of this. Uh, Bob, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, Lieutenant Colonel Robert McGinnis. Thanks, Bob. Well, we are nearing the end. Th- that's the end of episode two. Not the world as we know it, friends. The globalists haven't quite beaten us yet. But before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I want to give you all a heads up on what's coming up next on Episode 3 of Conspiracy Unlimited. But before I get to that, have you heard about this free guide you can download? It contains a list of online power tools to make you more efficient, secure, and boost your income. And best of all, this online toolbox guide is absolutely free. How do you get it? simply visit FreeBusinessToolbox.com and grab your copy while they last. This guide has some of the very same online tools that successful business owners use every day, and each one is highly recommended. Yeah, I know. Some websites will offer a special giveaway like this, but then they want to stick you into a recurring program or some other deal. This isn't like that. There's no hidden thing to try. No credit card needed. No cost whatsoever. Bright Biz is literally giving away this online toolbox guide completely free, sort of as a means of putting their best foot forward. But this is a limited time offer, so grab your free guide today and take your business and your income to the next level. Visit FreeBusinessToolbox.com and get your free guide to 36 online power tools. That address again, FreeBusinessToolbox.com. Coming up on Episode 3 of Conspiracy Unlimited, December 8th marks the 37th anniversary of the murder of former Beatle John Lennon. Mark David Chapman, the supposed gunman, possible Manchurian candidate, is up for parole in August of 2018. We'll tear back the curtain and discuss whether Lenin was targeted for assassination, perhaps part of the CIA's ongoing war against rock. My guest, John Potash, author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of Hendricks, Lenin, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Until next time. I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
2: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com Blow your mind. That is all for now.